Hello, everybody, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. We have the Monday crew back. I'm your host, Timuchin, as always, hosting in cold ash Chicago. With us today, slightly sunburnt 15 year old body, Galley. Galley, what's going on? Yeah, this 15 year old was, was ripping up Captiva Island and uh, actually had a chance to go fishing with a professional fisherman on a chartered boat. And he actually said, You have five? Is one of you under 15? And I almost literally fell over as I thought to myself, <laughs> I have evidence that I basically identify as 15. So therefore, in today's day and age, I think I should be 15. <laughs> and also with us, as always, is Bickler, who cannot trust people who don't do coffee. I tend to kind of agree. It is a little shady, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like you probably have an okay life. If you don't need that to, like, get through your morning, like, you probably haven't seen the bottom of the well. You know, you probably are a little bit entitled. You probably a little bit have a little bit of privilege. Um, and you just probably haven't suffered enough hardship in your life. And I feel like that just needs to change for a lot of people. See, I honestly, the whole, like, lack of sleep thing, is i can literally at this point i don't know what it is did too many overnighters at one point or last minutes uh, test studying in college or something but i can literally just drink coffee and go to sleep to me it's mostly psychological in terms of starting the day with the coffee kind of thing otherwise i like i said i think it's all in my head that it doesn't really wake me up if you will but Chris Strain says Bicklet is just bitter like his coffee. And I mean, that is a that is a point that's hard to argue, isn't it, Bickler? <laughs> it's not wrong. I mean, and I'm a firm believer that I don't put milk in coffee because I'm not a cat. Like just you just drink it like it's brewed, uh, as God intended, as nature intended. And there is no slight addiction issue involved too. I do get the shakes if I don't have it by eleven. But I mean that's another story. <laughs> okay. Well. Let's see. David Jennings says, damn, coffee privilege. And yeah, I hate to say it. It is what it is. But Chris Strain does have a point there. So as always, let's start with the stuff that you guys like the most, which is trivia. And people actually love trivia so much that I am starting to outsource these trivia questions now. And we got a good one for you guys this week. Here we go. Here is the question for today. So, which Liverpool player, let me make sure this is worded perfectly for points of Bickler here. Which Liverpool player has the most minutes and the most goals against Leicester City in Premier League? Uh, I don't know why the silence is for Bickler. We're waiting for you for to give, give us an answer here. Well, I mean... Give me a minute. I'm, th I'm thinking it's got to be a current player um, on this team. I'm, I'm going to go Bobby. I don't think that's right, but for some reason I feel very strongly called to Bobby today. So I'm going to go Bobby. Hmm. Okay. Yali, what do you have? That's a good guess. Um, I was actually with Bickler on the fact that I thought it would be a player from this team or in this era because uh, Lester spent a considerable amount of time the last 15 years in the championship. So I'm going to say, because I don't recall a ton of moguls and more minutes, I'm going to say Sadio Mane. Hmm. We have like quite a few guesses too. We have a Daniel Sturridge guess. Cosgrove says most minutes, Carragher, Moscow, Salah, pulling the Bickler and... Not yeah. listening to the full question, I noticed, because it is yeah. the same player, actually. What an idiot. Well, you know what, though, Bickler? Maybe it is the bitter coffee that's making you smarter. Doubt hey. it. But at least for this week, you have the correct answer to the trivia. Maybe you'll start liking this after all, dude. Let's go. I like the fact that you're no longer doing your own work anymore. Let's keep outsourcing these questions. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Damn it. I got to go back to the drawing board. But the correct answer is Bobby Firmino. 1,048 minutes in 13 matches. And he has six goals against them. Uh, same number of matches for Hendo. Uh, but he only has two goals against. So this is shocking, but true. We have Bickler, the bitter, with the correct answer this week. So. With that out of the way, 
and Bickler happy. Let's go to another area where Bickler will be bitter and talk about AFCON. Actually, Galley can hop on board on this one and be just as bitter. But Bickler, did you watch the final? What did you make of the final altogether? We kind of know. I did not watch the, the final, and it was probably one of the better decisions of my weekend. Uh, mainly, I like I was supposed to have a weekend off. I worked almost 30 hours this weekend from Friday through Sunday. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed watching the Discord channel of all you guys complaining about how shit the final was. Like the entire tournament wasn't shit. Um, I just, you know, I tried to watch the AFCON. I really did. I really tried. I just, it was just unwatchable for me. It was just completely unwatchable football. So let me ask you this, because we talked about this on Thursday's pod. And one thing I was asking, would you watch AFCON if it was a tournament that was happening in summer and with no other, you know, sports or at least soccer action going on? Would you be tuned into it like like a Euro tournament or a World Cup tournament? Probably. I mean, if it had if it had better coverage, too, that would probably help it. Um I mean, the coverage is pretty poor in general. Uh, I, pro I probably would. You know, I probably would if it was like a summer event, like kind of like the Euros or the World Cup. I probably would. I mean, I get like, listen, like the best part of AFCON is the people that are there. Like the Africans supporting their nation, their country. That was the best part of the whole damn thing. Like seeing them partying and like just like the, the, the celebratory coming together of all the people for their nations and what obviously means so much to them was absolutely 100% the best part of it. It's a shame the football doesn't give them more to cheer about. What do you think, Gally? I mean, I know you two have been anti-AFCON for a while. For me, it was just about the timing. Otherwise, I don't know. We're not anti-AFCON, though. That's the thing. We're just anti-unenjoyable like football. There's yeah, a big I, difference. I, I you know, guys have been pretty anti-AFCON, too, but okay. Well, I, I've been arguing about the play. I've been arguing about the conditions of the pitches in which they're playing. I think the fact that we've had three major controversies in refereeing shows that there is just a break in their federation. There, there is, it doesn't feel like a fair and balanced tournament. They did everything they could to have Cameroon win and they walk out of the thing with third place. So, I mean, there were games called with, with five minutes left on the clock. I don't want to, you know, the, the refereeing was one part of the issue. I made the comment in the Discord channel. I wasn't watching. I asked early in the day if there was anyone who could help me figure out a way to watch because I wasn't about to start a, you know, 150th free subscription that will turn into a 150th <laughs> monthly subscription that I have to watch footy. Um, because, honestly, that tournament was a nil-nil draw. The tournament was a nil-nil draw. So why would anyone expect the final to be anything else but 120 minutes of paint drying just to watch a little bit of drama? And let's be honest, Jamie Carragher is absolutely right. Egypt should run their manager out today for losing a final without their only class player. I'll take away world-class player. Really class player, not taking a penalty. Waiting for him to take the winning penalty instead of putting one in the back of the net that they needed. So it's just moronic. They, they played defensive, they were poor, and there were more nil-nil draws than there, were, than there were scored outcomes. So there were actually more nil-nils in the entire tournament than there were where teams actually each scored more than one goal. That's a pretty pathetic performance at the national team level. And I think Africa... As a continent, as a federation, as a fan base, they deserve better than that. And that was my criticism of the tournament. It isn't the players. And to Paul's point, they love their country. If people from the United States can show up and get excited about that piece of trash, then I understand bad international football. I watch it all the time. But they just deserve better than that. They're better fans, and the tournament should have represented them. Yeah, I... It was definitely lower than I know this because we watch top leagues and it's kind of hard to expect an international team to play in the same synergy and stuff, but it was poor overall. It does. I don't know. I mean, I can still find joy in watching a game that's zero zero. And I know that's very 
anti-American in a sense, because that's like the biggest criticism of soccer. There's not a lot of scoring. I can enjoy the defensive battle. It just was more, and I kind of like appreciate the overall ridiculous how tense these guys are and how much it meant to them and stuff like that. You could kind of see that in the final. And obviously the biggest final point for us is was the fact that it was more against money, uh, something that you probably wish for and didn't wish for at the same time. We were going to win and we were going to lose. Going into the game, Bickler, who were you rooting for to win this one? Uh, you know, this is this is like this is I didn't really feel compelled one way or the other. To be perfectly honest. I was on team everybody get off the pitch in 90 minutes healthy and that didn't happen. They went 120. Um like Mo played like eight games I feel like in 11 days. Um but like I didn't really feel strongly one way or the other. If I was put a, if somebody put a gun in my head and made me choose, I would I would pick coffee. No, I'm just kidding. I would uh, I would pick um, I would probably pick Mo just because like I do want him to have the best chance at a balloon door he can he could possibly get, and I think that would have helped his cause. But I'm sure that that's going to more come down to World Cup and Euro stuff down the line. Um, so I would have probably picked Mo had I had to choose, but I didn't feel really compelled one way or the other. How about you, Gally? I honestly didn't really care who won it. I too was just hoping for a 90 minute match that would, you know, end and that they'd both come out uninjured. I kind of like Paul. I thought it would be a, a feather in the cap for Mo if they were to win it, that he would have gotten some international level success that might have helped propel him higher up in the Ballon d'Or voting. Um, but I think to Paul's point, these same two teams are about to play – these same two countries are about to play each other in a World Cup qualifier later in June that will determine which of those two teams makes it in the World Cup and which doesn't. Um, and for that, you know, I am really happy for Sadio. I would say out of the two of them in the time at Liverpool, it has appeared to me that playing for Senegal actually means more to Sadio Mane than anything. And for that, I'm very happy for him. He is the, you know – big star of that team along with, you know, um, Mendy from Chelsea. So I'm really happy for Mane. He looked really excited sleeping with the trophy in his bed. And uh, they were lighting off firework aerosol cans during their victory celebration. And I'll tell you this, I would have wanted to be part of that celebration because uh, I did a little tiki bar drinking last weekend, but nothing like the people of Senegal party last night and today. Uh, they had a, I think they had a national holiday today where they shut everything down and basically were just partying it up. So I can't imagine he'll be as ready for training as Salah claims he will be tomorrow. Yeah, I think I was mainly rooting for Sadio. And I know what Bickler is saying. I think that was the almost like the only reason to root for Egypt so that Mo can get more international recognition, if you will, or respect or some of these like, you know, bigger awards and stuff like that. But having Egypt win it so much, and I thought in terms of like morale and confidence-wise, it was something that Sadio needed definitely a lot more than Mo needed. And just like hearing, I was watching something earlier right before the broadcast about like Mane basically saying this is the biggest thing he's won, even over the Premier League title and the Champions League and everything like that, because this does mean that much to them. It was the first time they won it, so I kind of want them to win it. David Cosgo says, is is it the worst football trophy you can win? It looks horrific. And yeah, it did look kind of underwhelming, to be honest. The biggest thing that I and made us literally turn off, <laughs> switch the channel at that point is the whole ceremony was awkward as hell. And then walking the trophy all the way to the president and stuff. This is the part of like some of the international soccer, especially in like Afghan and stuff you see where the politics and all that kind of stuff is just like way too overwhelming. And I was like, just give the guys the trophy. They want it. He can freaking take a picture with it afterwards. But literally walking it all the way across for like five minutes. I was like, where the hell are they going? And then once I figured out where they were going, I was like, switch the channel. But at least Mo sounds very angry and we'll be back as soon as possible. We'll talk about if he'll make it to the Leicester game or not a little bit. And Sadio slept with the trophy and is happy. And hopefully he'll come back full of confidence once he gets back here. So Sunday morning, Crack of Dawn was another game that the boys played in. And that was against Cardiff City. Um, 
So let's start with the lineup here, Bickler. It was kind of hard to guess who's going to go. And I think moving forward, we're going to have a tough time, especially within these next two, three weeks with all this game traffic. So yay for fantasy players uh, to figure out like who's going to start and who's going to play. Uh, anything that shocked or stuck out to you with the starting 11? Uh, nothing that really shocked me too much. I just like on paper, I hate that midfield. And then, also watching it, I hate that midfield, but like I also kind of under I, I kind of understand like what they were doing. I just don't love Henderson in the six. I like Kate, I like I like Nabby on the left more than I do on the right. I like Jones on the right more than I like him on the left. But I also know that Jones struggles with his defensive assignments, and that can be a fucking death trap if you put him in front of Trent. Although I think he plays better on that side. So like I understand why they were where they were supposed to be. I guess I should just be grateful that we didn't start Milner with Henderson in that midfield and call it a day. I don't know. Like, who would you have rather seen in midfield? Start? Well, that's the thing. Like, based on availability, like, that was probably – like, I mean, I think we all want to see Thiago, Fab, Hendo. That's the best three. But, you know, Thiago's not fully fit. Probably will be sometime by the time he's 45. Um, and, like, you got Fabinho who you have to – I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you got to turn around and play another game to have Fabinho in this one um, versus a Cardiff side that's struggling to stay up in the championship. So, like I said, I understood um, that I'd almost rather see Tyler Morton in this spot, get the start in the six and move Hendo up. Really? How about you, Gally? What did you think of the 11? Um, so the 11 as a whole, I, I wasn't that shocked. I, I was happy to see Samikas get a run out. I think I, I still think he probably should start one of these games coming up in the Premier League as well. Uh, to give, you know, Robo a little bit of a refresh and a recharge ahead of the Champions League games in the midweek. Uh, I like the front three. I didn't expect Diaz to start, uh, so I was happy with the front three. You know, the back four I thought kind of picked itself. Um, you know, Kanate has to get minutes. He's got to play more with Virgil. At some point, he's going to have to give Virgil days off. Like, he's going to need to have to give this man a couple matches off between – if we're going to compete on four fronts the rest of the way. So in some ways, I was a little surprised this wasn't a Matip and Kanate uh, center back pairing, especially knowing that they were going up against a Cardiff team that was struggling. I think the fear then was, was that they would have then used the big brute of a center forward to just go at Kanate, who's got a mistake in him, um, you know, can, can win those battles, but also has a mistake in him. So by putting Van Dyke out there, it kind of made him the target. I thought the defense looked shaky to start, honestly. Um, it was a little awkward early on, but, you know, we'll get into more how the play was. To, to Paul's point in the midfield, I, I love Jordan Anderson, but at some point he needs a little bit of a break and a little bit of a refresher too. I can't remember the last game he didn't start where he was healthy. And everyone says, you know, you need your captain in the lineup every game, but I – I really believe we've seen a drop in his form this season. Um, and, it, and it's kind of considerable. And it's not just the decision-making process, but the actual, um, you know, what he's actually putting out on the pitch. I mean, he's turning the ball over in tough spots. He's not really connecting on many passes. And he's very rarely breaking the lines. And we've gotten so accustomed to him not only being industrious, but also being a playmaker for us in that midfield. And I, I, I really think he's struggling. So, you know, to Paul's point, it would have been great if you had had Fab there. Maybe you could have started a Morton. But I think they're going to have to do a little juggling to balance to figure out the best way to fit these guys in. I think Ox turning up positive for COVID the day, you know, three days before the match probably had a big to do, a big deal to do with how that starting lineup played out. Because I think he would have been in the midfield three if he were. I also think Gomez probably would have got a start in this match if he hadn't been on the COVID list as well. So I think that kind of threw Jurgen into a little bit of a shuffle. So maybe my bitching about Virgil getting the start was more out of necessity than the original play. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there, in terms of, I mean, with Hendo, I feel like one thing he brings is he moves the ball a lot faster than the rest of the midfield. 
because he doesn't like mm-hmm. to dribble. He moves the ball from wing to wing, especially against a close defense. I felt like that's why he was there. But the first half, Bickler, we really struggled to get anything going. And we kept crossing the ball into basically nobody. I mean, the delivery was poor overall. And then we really don't have... I mean, Jota obviously can win those headers like he did in the first goal. But overall, I felt like we were trying something that was doomed to fail. What do you make of the first half and in terms of really not being able to create much with all the possession we had? Well, yeah, I mean, I think part of that just comes down with we traditionally struggle with low block defending, right? But also, I mean, if you look across that starting 11, that is like the perfect nightmare for that scenario because Bobby does not – like Bobby's not – I love him, but he is not the solution in these games. And like so you kind of lost what he does and does well. Um, Taki obviously is not physically imposing. Like I will give Taki this. He is industrious to the point where he will run until he can run no more, and that is – that is like the good thing about him is that he will continually grind something out and put himself in good positions like he did with the Diaz assist. Um, but against the low block, Taki doesn't offer you a whole lot just because he can't physically body somebody up in the box. Bobby, same thing. Like he's better coming in the mids and creating space. You can't create space when you have eight defenders behind. You can't. So that kind of nullified that. And this was the game where like – Ajota in the middle was probably a lot more effective in this scenario versus side that sets up like this. But again, this gets back to Galley's point. I do think this is a starting 11, which was mostly sort of hodgepodge together based on availability. So Galley, in terms of not being able to create, aside from obviously like Bickler's points, uh, how do you, th- I mean, when I watched that game, it was almost like, well, we're eventually going to get it. And at first, towards the end of the first half, I was like, maybe it's not going to be as easy as I thought. It's kind of like felt like it's going to come. It's going to come. But then the minutes kept going, going, going. I, when I watch games like this, I more worry about the next time we play a team of better quality uh, from the Premier League with this. Having said that, how would you change this lineup to better cope with defenses that play like this that they just sit behind the ball and honestly Cardiff did not offer as much moving forward on a counter in the Premier League you play against obviously much better opposition that can offer that but in terms of like lineup and what we do we do have a lot more options now we'll talk a little bit about like the squad depth and stuff later on but like what do you think is like the secret formula against teams that sit back well one of the keys to that formula is having Tiago in the lineup healthy and fit to play from the start because he dictates and he does make passes and see passes that other members of our midfield just don't visualize ahead of time and don't even have in their locker. If they could see it, they can't make it. And I think that's something that we brought him here to do. And at times we've started to see it. And when he plays with Hendo and Fab, you see a little bit more of it because he drifts deeper and then he kind of cuts through lines I think that's a big key is getting Thiago back into the routine of playing the majority of minutes in the side, especially against the sides that's set up that way. The other part is, is you have to have pace on the outsides, whether it's Mane or Mo actually making runs, taking players out and allowing for the fullbacks to create. But there, to Paul's point, we can't be crossing into the box with, you know, three guys standing underneath five foot seven. You know, we have to have some size or some of our midfielders making runs. Another key for me is, is I think Jones, you know, I love his swashbuckling mentality. I love his attitude on the pitch. I also think that he needs to recognize that he needs to move the ball faster. He gets caught on the ball in too many situations. And I forget who it was in the discord during the match that said, you know, we're going to watch Jones kick the ball into the top row of the cop for the rest of his career because he hit that worldie against Everton in the cup. And there is something he has in his head that any time is a good time to shoot. And I like the fact we finally have a midfielder who will shoot from outside. But I think when you're consistently having these guys just keep backing it up and backing it up and you're just taking pot shots that aren't doing anything with the possession, it, it weakens the whole process. The one thing I will say is, is, you know, if Samikas keeps his eye on that line and doesn't drift into an offside position when he had no reason to, 
Chucky buried the only chance we had in the first half, off his boot and into the net. So once again, whether we like the player, he's strong enough, or he has a long-term future here at Anfield, when that guy is given minutes, he either puts himself in positions to score goals, and more often than not, when he gets those opportunities, he actually scores them. So, you know, we did take a ball out of the back of the net in the first half. And honestly, if he, if, if Samikas doesn't have the brain fart there in that moment, there's no excuse to be offsides. And the announcers and commentators mentioned that right in the broadcast. You know, we do get that goal in the first half. And to your point, Timuchin, I felt the same way. As soon as the goal came, I thought two and three were coming right after it as they did. So, you know, I think there is something to be said about that and how we line up. And I just think we have to take these opportunities a little bit better and a little earlier in matches when these teams come in with the low block. We seem to leave it late to really chase it. And to go on that Taki thing, because I give him a lot of crap, especially for like lack of strength and not being able to hold the ball and stuff. I mean, I feel like he's trying harder to be physical and the ball that actually created the goal that Trent crossed in was actually him wrestling with a couple of people and having his jersey pulled on, like, earning that foul. So I feel like he's trying, but like Bickler says, I just don't think he... I mean, there's only a certain kind of potential. I don't know if he'll grow into that. It's not like Mo is a big dude. It's not like Sadio is a big dude. But they have a lot of, like, strength that can hold off people. Sometimes to their disadvantage, especially with Mo, he doesn't get a lot of calls because he's almost strong enough to be able to hold off like a huge guy and be yanked to the ground. Hoping like Kanitaki adds that because, yes, he does run nonstop and he is at the right places at the right time, it feels like. Yes, I mean, he does bury a lot of them and he does miss some as well, but he is there in that situation. He does make that run into the box at times that some of our other players don't and maybe wait outside to shoot it in or something like that. But... So before we get to that goal, though, let's talk about this because I figured the moment it happened, all I could think about was Bickler. As always, when Keller comes out, wipes out the guy, it just was a point of, like, mistiming that because he was just coming in to slide towards the ball, misses the ball completely, gets the guy. Yellow card, which, in my opinion, is the right call, thanks to Konate being there, so he's not the last guy. I was actually... Amazed that they did not watch that. They watch more like, you know, like a injury causing or whatever the terminology is uh, for the red card. They were not watching to be if it was the last person. Because if you're watching what they're watching for, I don't think it's a foul. If they were watching to see, to consider if was he like stopping a goal scoring opportunity, maybe it could have been a red. Uh, Chris Strain, for example, says should have been red. Bickler, let's start with you. Yellow or red? So I just, first of all, I want to congratulate myself on the massive amount of restraint I showed on Discord because I didn't mention a word about it. I didn't say anything. I'll let you guys hash it out. I stayed quiet. Um, I agree with Chris here. I personally thought it should have been a red, and I'll tell you why. If you're looking at, like, uh, stopping a clear goal, goal scoring chance, not a red. Kanate's back there. I think that's enough to keep that from being a red. But anytime you're a goalkeeper or any player for that matter, and you come out on a player and you miss the challenge completely and you catch the player with the bottom of your studs and your foot is up, like to me, that's grounds for a straight red. However, that being said, I mean, the challenge is clearly low enough that I don't think like, I think if that, if I think if that challenge is just maybe like half a foot higher, I think that goes red. So I think we're talking fine margins, but for me, I could see a legitimate red card being shown in that situation and not argue it. Um, so it, it was it, it was a borderline one, but for me, I probably would have erred on the side of red if I was a referee in that situation. By the way, we keep referring to the Discord channel. I did post a link for an invite into it in our Facebook as well as our YouTube uh, broadcast, so you guys can hop on there. We talk anything from Liverpool to other football to transfers to – Fantasy football channel that we all love with Bigler and just weird stuff, including movies and stuff. There's a pretty much a channel for everything. It's become kind of like a funny community, but we're in it, so much not much can else can be expected out of it, I guess. But Galley, what do you make of it? I figured I thought the yellow was right, but I would not have been able to put up a big fight or argument if it was a red. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the use of VAR meant it was always going to stay a yellow unless they felt there was so much in it from a violent conduct standpoint that they would have asked the ref to go take another look at it at the monitor. Um, I think this falls into that area of the undefined definition of VAR because the ref shows yellow right away on the pitch. He's right there. He's made a call. And I think VAR needed to have that be a clear and obvious real big error. And to Paul's point, could it have been a red? I think it could have. It's kind of one of those orange scenarios. I would have given a red card if I were the referee. But I, to Chris's point earlier that came up on screen, I feel that a goalkeeper coming that far out, missing the ball and catching a player, makes it a clear situation where you send the player off. He wasn't at the edge of his box. He wasn't playing a ball towards the corner flag and got clumsy. He came out to stop a one-on-one break, whether he knew Kanate could get back or not, made a full dive, never touched the ball, and hit the player with his studs. To me, it's not even, it wasn't even a question. I, I was saying, uh-oh, here we go, the moment I saw it. Um, I do believe he was a fraction of an inch away. I think if those studs hit the calf, the Achilles, he's off without – I think the ref gives straight red on the field. Uh, but because it kind of caught the bottom of his heel, but it was straight up. I mean, it was – here's the thing. He didn't mean to injure a player. But if he had made the wrong contact, he would have broke that player's leg. And I've heard forever, it's not about the contact. It's about – it's not just about the contact or the intent. It's about the fact that there was recklessness in it. And I think there was enough recklessness in that challenge, in that spot, that he probably should have walked. And I think we got really, really lucky that he didn't because we would have had to make a sub, go down to 10 at nil-nil with Adrian in net. And that would have got even scarier. Yeah, it could have made things a lot more complicated, that's for sure. And initially when Cardiff players were complaining – the ref, I don't think he even considered that reckless of violent conduct or anything like that because he pointed to Konade as being there so he was not the last player and stuff. But I think we can all agree that, you know, it could have been a Reds and we really could not really argue it much. So we get away with it. And um, I think like, what, five or ten minutes later we get – because that was like right in the beginning of the second half, like a minute or so into it. Uh, and then we get our goal with Jota. And I guess the only question that I can come up from that for you guys is against these defenses, going back to what you were saying, Bickler, has Jota made himself the starter over Bobby just because of his finishing, especially in the air? Sure. Yes, I think so. I think so. And I think Bobby's at this age now where, you know, he probably needs the rotation for his legs a little bit. Um, I think it makes tactical sense. I think, Adding Diaz to the lineup only helps that situation because you've got another option up there too. Um, so, yeah, I will. I will say that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hated this, like, the Jota versus Bobby thing when we acquired him and he lit the world on fire because it was all of a sudden now he's replacing Bobby. And I don't see them – I see them as such different players that I don't like to do that comparison where it's one or the other. But I think it does make tactical sense in games like this. So let me ask you this then before we go to Galley. When do you pick Bobby over Jota? Or what kind of a game do you pick Bobby over Jota? I pick Bobby in games that are more open where we're going to have a lot more opportunities to counter, where a team is going to open it up and actually attack us um, because I think he is critical to our counterattack and springing it. And I think he's also critical for us dominating midfields. So I would start him versus – I'd start him like teams like Chelsea – uh, that are extremely strong in the midfield, I'd start Bobby. Gotcha. And because that's the thing. I mean, in the past, we could have seen both of them at the same time and shifting maybe Chota to left wing. But I feel like with Diaz's arrival, that kind of takes a back step because you would think you have Mane, then you have Diaz if Mane or Mane can go to the right-hand side as well if you're giving more rest or something like that. Uh, how about you, Gally? What's your take on that conversation? 
Uh, I think that we are going to see Bobby get more of the starts against the more free-flowing teams like the Cities, uh, the Arsenals, Chelsea, teams that play within and, and really, you know, where Bobby can drop back and create extra space. I think that's going to be where he plays. I, I think there's an opportunity to play all four of them against some of the more low block teams and play them in different ways because I think they can be interchangeable. And when I say all four of them, I mean the original four still kind of thinking, I, I believe Diaz is going to be really an impact sub spot starter for the rest of this season. And then next year, I think is where we'll really see him kind of solidify himself into that front three or top four. Um, I just think it's a really good problem to have when you have five quality attackers to the level of, you know, Bobby, Mo, Mane, Jota, and now Diaz. And to your point earlier, will, will Taki ever be the player we need him to be? I'm not sure. But if he's sixth or seventh on your depth chart attacking-wise, I think you're doing okay because now you're rolling out a player who can score goals in league games and cup matches and not having to play all these guys every single time. So I, I, I think what we're going to end up seeing is a starting foursome with Diaz being the first sub in and really them getting more of a, a tactical break where we see a lot more Jota. Uh, because I think actually, if you look at this league, more teams play us with a low block than teams come out at us anymore than they used to. And that's probably going to lead to more starts for Jota than Bobby between now and the end of the year. Yeah, because Megan says Bobby went to midfield for a minute and things improved really well. Klopp made some interesting changes to see different looks. And I think... You know, that's one option, I think, for Bobby, maybe being that more attacking midfielder as well, especially, you know, if we're pushing for a goal. But then we had some substitutions that brings this kids into effect over here. And, man, I was, I mean, really, I woke up 6 in the morning in the hopes that we would see this dude or Diaz for a little bit in the game. And... We got to see both a lot longer than I thought, especially in Diaz's case. We were even talking about it in the Discord channel that I put a link to. Uh, but we got to see them a lot more. Uh, Gally, let's start with you on this one. What do you make for the performance? For Let's start with Elliot first, and then we'll go to Diaz. I mean, you, you just got to be stoked for this kid. You got to be stoked for his dad. You know, he performs at Anfield, you know, um, Scores his first senior goal for the club in front of the cops with his father in the stadium. And it's not just a goal. It's an absolute worldie. And the touch, the take, the technique, the ability to do it on, on your comeback when you have all that excitement, the effort he put in to be back on the pitch, um, coming off a dislocated ankle, you know, in this short amount of time, it, it, it's a testament to the young man, to how much he cares, to how excited he is to be part of this, and honestly, to how much he believes he can, he is and can be one of the starting 11, top 13. You know, that kid, to me, looks like he belongs every minute he's out on the pitch. He looks like he belongs when he's given interviews. He just looks like he gets it. And I, I think we still don't, probably give enough credence to the fact that he just turned 19 years old and how impressive it is of what he's doing right now. Um, and it wasn't just the goal. He had some touches. He had a couple like quick little turns. He is a guy who can get the ball and move it quickly. He knows where he's going to play his next pass, you know, and I think that we are probably watching the budgeting of the next great Liverpool star. So before I come to you, Bickler, I want to play this. Uh, this week's uh, segment that the Delaware guys sent is about Elliot. So listen to listen to that first, and then I want to get your take on not only this game but what you see moving forward with Elliot in there. The fans, we're joining you from first first aid carpets podcast. This week's segment is the return of Harvey Elliot. Uh, Justin, what do you think? I, I think it's a, I think it's cause to be very excited. Um, 
Harvey Elliott started the season very well, um, involved a lot more than everybody thought he would be, and looked like he had really given us an additional dimension of creativity that we didn't have coming from that right-hand side, um, you know, which is tough, which is weird to say because of, uh, you know, the fact that that right-hand side features Mohamed Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold, who are two of the highest attacking output players in the world. But Harvey Elliott was, you know, he, he seemed to form an instant telepathy with the two of them, and it's been disrupted a little bit, but it's going to be exciting to see how that can be reforged and the steps that Harvey Elliott is going to take because that kid's just incredibly talented. And he showed in his return cameo today that he plays the game with his head up and is always trying to make something happen. And that's a kind of dynamic that an energy that we, you know, haven't had from that kind of player in our midfield in a long time. I mean, this isn't, you know, to knock any of the, you know, Ox or Henderson who have done, you know, very decent jobs in attacking roles. Same goes with, uh, Curtis Jones, but we haven't had a guy who you'd really class as, you know, that out and out creative force that Harvey Elliott represents. And it's going to be just fun to see the different flexibility he's going to give us in, in, you know, a really packed half season where we're going to need to use more members of our squad. Yeah. And just, just the journey that he had from November till now is amazing to me. And just his poise, his, 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 uh, the way he handled it all. I mean, his his 18. If if you know, I'm in my 40s, and if I go something through something like that, I just I don't see myself going through the same process. So that that was just wonderful to watch, and his input and all of that stuff, and just the dedication was great. Well, uh, we're throwing it back to to motion and the guys from American Scouting. So that was Hyphen who's actually from my neck of the woods over here in Chicago and Justin, who's from New York area uh, from the first Cup Heights, uh, podcast of Delaware. And uh, I hope I didn't butcher Hytham's name, but let's, let's, let's roll with that. Sounded good. Uh, so Bickler, I think they, Justin makes an interesting point where he definitely brings something extra to that midfield with his age and everything. I mean, he did start a bunch of games in the beginning of the season. Do you see him earning a regular like a starting role there, or he's going to start being this guy that comes off the bench first for that specific <clears throat> spot? Um, I think it could be his as early as next year. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I, I, I think that there's still a huge question mark. I think there is a huge question mark about where his future position is in this squad. And I'll say, and I'll tell you because like, We've always seen him branded as a right winger. And my concern with him coming up is, does he have the physicality and top-end pace to play in our front three in the Premier League? Because, I mean, he's not necessarily a burner, right? And that's usually what we're used to seeing up top. Um, he comes into the midfield, and my concern about him in the midfield is, well, like it's a pretty demanding position to play tactically for us. There's a lot of defensive work that goes into that. As a traditional right winger, can he do those things that we require defensively? Um, and the answer was that, yes, he did for the most part. If we look at that run before the horrific injury, he was, he was, he was playing himself into the starting lineup to the point where it was almost impossible to leave him out of the starting lineup. It, I mean, I think it, it was a while ago, and we forget about that. And that's what was crazy to me is like, I think with a lot of these kids that come up that are branded wonder kids from a very, very early age, 12 all the way through. And they, and they basically just crush everybody at the Academy level. They just completely destroy people at the Academy level. They get up to the senior level and then reality starts to set in that everybody at this level is fucking good and everybody's big and everybody's fast. And I think a lot of those guys have such high confidence. They get to that level and that's a huge adjustment. And like when you're not the big fish anymore, what happens? I think what's really special about, about Harvey is he has this arrogance that you want from one of those players, but it's so, so grounded in humility. And that's, that's very unusual. You don't really see that a whole lot. Maybe that has to do with a lot of, a lot of that being his family and being, and, and being the fact that he is in his backyard, that these are all, this is a place he grew up and it's a family that supports the club. And I think that definitely helps, but I think, I think that's what stands out to me. And he's so technically, gifted at this age he's doing things that do not come naturally things that like are learned over the courses of careers that he's already doing at 19 
Um, and that's, I think that's what's so exciting to me is how technically proficient he is in certain areas of his game. Um, if we look at him when he was locked into the lineup, what I thought really stood out to me was he had a chemistry on the field with Mo that I haven't seen a whole lot of players have. Like if we look at Mo in our lineup, besides Trent, Mo is mostly on an island. He's an island to himself. He sits up there. We lump the ball and we let him do magic. We, we let him outmuscle, outpace people, and have a moment of brilliance. But when Hardy was in there, he was facilitating triangles with Trent and Mo that I haven't seen with us before. And that was really exciting to me. And I think Mo, like the more Harvey played, the more Mo kind of leaned into that relationship. It was making runs that I don't see Mo make a whole lot in the midfield. Harvey was on the overlap, which we don't see coming out of the midfield a whole lot in that spot. It helped Trent play better. Like I thought that on the whole – he made Trent and Mo better, and I don't think if I can, like that that sentence out loud sounds insane. You know what I mean? Like, what player at 19 can make two of the best in the world at their position better? Harvey did. So, like, I could see it as early as next year. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I mean, he's a special kid. Yeah, Megan says he's only 18, by the way, and she also wants credit for saying he'd be back this early. And I guess we do have to give it to her because she was literally following Harvey's every move. Uh, he just went into surgery. He came out of surgery. He's drinking orange juice in bed now and all kinds of details along the way. He's running. He's in the pool. Megan kept us updated, and now he's back. And, yeah, I mean, like Gally was saying, how can you not be happy for this kid? It's just it's a great story, and I really like the, the head on the shoulders as well as, like, the player on the field. I, he's totally different than how Curtis's confidence shows. Like Curtis yeah. will try moves and do certain things. One thing I like about Harvey is he almost looks like he's not trying. Like this is his game and it just looks really good. He's not like, well, let me try this now. I feel like it's natural. And I think that's why it will kind of like carry on further. And you're right. I think we might see that trio. I think, I mean, we will see it throughout the season. But I agree. I don't know if he's going to be like a regular starter right now. So let's talk about the opposite wing with Diaz coming in. Gets the kind of a, I guess, ended up being a hockey assist somehow. I think they counted that as a Jota assist when he couldn't control the ball somehow. Uh, but what did you make of the limited time we saw him action there, Gally? I mean, I think we saw a little bit of, of the special player. We saw him drive, you know, from the left. Uh, one time he came all the way across. Um, you know, the entire pitch to the middle, almost a la the goal, the wonder goal he scored against City in the Champions League final. He, you know, released, um, I, I don't know if it was Trent or uh, Jota, and it was just a little bit, maybe just took the guy a little bit wider than it needed to be. I think what you see is he's a menace, right? You saw him put pressure on the Cardiff defender. He has great feet as he was able to steal that ball, not only off of, uh, of the defender, but play it around him, keep it on the touchline, and then make the little darting pass, cutback pass. We also saw a little bit of him and Robo uh, doing some nice things out there on the left-hand side, you know, when Robo set up um, the Taki goal. So, or, or not the Taki goal, when Robo set up the third goal. So there were there was some good uh, interaction with, with his fullbacks. I think what we saw is a guy was able to get on the pitch in a training session and a half. And Jurgen didn't just send him out there for five minutes. He sent him out there to play 30 minutes in a game that he was warming up and had his, his jersey off when it was nil-nil. He was coming into that match before we scored the goal. So it wasn't like we were afraid and now we have scored. I just think that he is a different level class of a player that we've bought since probably, you know, I'll take Tiago off of it. We knew what we were getting there. Um, since we bought like Salah as an attacking player, I think Jurgen Klopp knew what he was getting. He was planning to get him in the summer with the idea of making him possibly even a starter right away. And, you know, Tottenham just kicked that thing into gear. And this is going to, we're going to be all for the better because he's going to have four more months to bet in. But I, I, I think we're going to see a lot from this player um, in the immediate future but I believe he is one really special one for the future. 
And I almost felt like Robo came in afterwards, so we can kind of work on the chemistry between them as well, which was kind of nice. And yeah, he seemed to fit in very well. Same thing again. He kind of like played within our game as opposed to kind of like trying to do too much or anything like that. I mean, what do you think, Bickler? He's Colombian, so I'm sure he loves coffee, so he can easily trust the guy. Yeah, I mean, that's all I need, right? I'm good. Uh, yeah. No, I... Like, so here's my thing about him and what I noticed. Um, he seems like a really smart footballer. And that's huge for me because I think you can cover up a lot of technical deficiencies with just game intelligence. Like the, the, the idea, the positioning of cutting off that outlet, knowing that Jota is behind that defender is like just good, smart footballing. He, he knows that he's got the byline and that guy, and that guy has no option. So just by sheer, like, blue collar hard work and intelligence he creates that out of nothing and then once he gets the ball it was like the ghost of Luis Suarez if you look at that footwork like it was like I mean that's what it reminded me it reminded me of Suarez where he's he's basically covered by three dudes and he gets through them just by like shifting the ball around like it was it was unreal to see and then he puts the ball in a good spot you know Jonah misses it and Taki gets it and it's his assist either way I don't care I thought it was great I loved seeing him I love the fact that he was batshit crazy out there in a t-shirt with gloves. Like, I mean, I'm, I like to see those kind of stones on a guy that's probably freezing his nuts off and like, still is just like, I'm going to rock this t-shirt. I would not have faulted him for going out in a full ski mask. Um, but like the fact that he was just out there in a t-shirt takes a cleat to the knee, gets up, he's got the gloves on. I loved it, man. I, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be the real deal. That's funny you say that. Cause this is something we always talk to Layla uh, whose pictures back there now, but uh, she always says she can't stand people who wear gloves but still wear short sleeves. She's like, get an Under Armour if you're that cold or don't wear gloves. But yeah, that's probably the biggest adjustment he's going to have, right, in terms of like weather and stuff. But gameplay-wise, I thought, yeah, it's going to be kind of like exciting to see moving forward. And now we have way too many options. So this very last segment we always do with predicting lineup has only become trickier. Uh, so... Gally, we'll start with you on this one in terms of what you expect out of lesser game. But I want to ask you at the same time, are you because there was like a big conversation after the game in our Facebook group, which is LFC America. Um, mind you, it was like one person arguing against 15 people. Shout out to Nick over here for kind of sticking with the theory and keep running with it. But um, what do you make of the squad depth overall? Is it where we want it to be? Um I think anyone who's complaining about the squad depth on February 7th, 2022 only has to look back to February 7th of 2021 to see how far we've come. At this point last year, we were just finally starting, you know, a guy that most thought was a league one center back and an 18 year old, no one had ever heard of in our back four because we were sick of losing matches playing midfielders at center backs. And we had injuries piling up. We have seven to eight frontline attackers. We have six to seven midfield options. We have youth that has shown themselves to be um, both ready for a spot start or a performance when needed. Uh, even as big as in the Champions League against AC Milan, like Morton did. And we have seven high-level defenders and two goalies I have faith in. If this squad isn't deep enough to make even the biggest, you know, transfer conspiracy theorist that says we don't spend money and we haven't strengthened the squad – We also haven't sold players on that were required to play a role within this team. And Klopp seems to feel comfortable with them. So I just, I don't know what I would complain about right now at a squad depth level. Do I expect three or four players to leave at the end of the season? I do. And at that time, those players will need to be replaced or we will go back to having a hole or two, but we are going to start telling senior fit players making 70 to 100,000 pounds a week that they're not making match day squads in the next two weeks at this club. 
that is what City and United do every week, right? Like leaving a, a high name player in street clothes on the sidelines. And to me, that's the level of depth we've gotten to, and I'm I'm comfortable with it. How about you, Bickler? I think we're kind of like all on the same page with this one. But I, I mean, I think Galley's right. If you look at this snapshot right now, it's kind of hard not to be happy with the squad depth. But going back to what Galley is saying, obviously you're going to have some people leaving. I just, as long as this is not done expecting that and we're not going to do anything then, I hope those, if those players get replaced and we keep the same depth, even with like, Young talent that you know might not be household names, you know, those you know, guy like Milner and stuff like that leaving that gives a lot of depth. And I know you know the game, you know, his speed and everything is not the same, but it's somebody who can plug into any position you want and stuff like that. And you need somebody like that replaced. Uh, what do you make of the squad depth? And then what do you expect out of the Leicester City lineup? So I think the squad depth is fine right now. I think that argument, like it's, it's a polarizing argument. I think people are either on one side of the fence or the other. And like, I see it more in the middle. I think there's legitimacy to people that have issues with our squad depth. And that comes from the fact that like people forget, like we started this season with eight midfielders for three spots. That's like, no manager is going to look at that and be like, that's not enough. Like it's clearly enough bodies for three spots. The issue with it is for those eight. So 50% of them, or Nabby, Ox, Diago, and Milner, okay? So you can make the argument, Ox isn't – he's not healthy enough. Diago is not healthy enough. Like, Nabby is not healthy enough. Milner is 54. You know what I mean? Like, you can – there's legitimate arguments as to why you're concerned about depth in the midfield. But Nabby, we paid a huge amount for and waited an entire half a year to come. Ox, it, we got on a freeze on huge wages. Diago is obviously our was like a huge part of us breaking down a low block. He was like, I mean, he was considered by a lot to be a luxury buy, but there was clearly he was bought with a very specific purpose, and he still can serve that purpose. And and you know, Milner, we're just gonna run that till the trains like the wheels come off that train. He's like, I don't ever want to see him start again. Like, but I think he's got he's got value to the squad. Those four guys are not guys that you just clip and replace for a number of reasons. And I think that's where people like kind of lose. There, there's, there's a disconnect between like what, what supporters want and the reality of a situation and, and the reality of running an actual business as a football club. You can't just look at those four dudes and be like, all right, let's swap them out for four new ones. Like it doesn't work that way. So like, I, I understand the argument about midfield depth, but I think that there is a disconnect between the reality of the situation of those players um, so that being said, I think depth is fine for Lester. I hope we put out the strongest lineup possible. It would be really fun, wouldn't it, to see Brendan get the sack off the, off the back of losing to us? I think that would be a good time. Yeah, they're kind of coming off of like a embarrassing loss and embarrassing He's, play too. Yeah. I only caught part of that game, but it just looked kind of like yeah. pathetic. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to lose to a team from like a lower tier, but the lose in the way they did, I thought was worse, but I think the similar thing happened last time and we kind of like struggled against them. Uh, what do you expect in terms of lineup, uh, Gally? Um, I think the back four will be the back four. I think it'll be Matip, Virgil, uh, Trent and Robo. I do think we'll end up seeing, you know, Ali and goal, Fab and midfield. I would love for Hendo and Tiago to get the starts there. I don't know that Tiago's ready to start a match from the rip. Um, you know, seeing the fact that he wasn't one of the first uh, ones they brought in, one of the first subs brought off the bench. I actually think the front three will be Jota Bobby and someone. And I don't know if that'll be Taki or if that'll be Luis Diaz. I do not expect Mo or uh, Mane to start this match. Um, if I were Jurgen, I don't even know I'd put Mane on the bench other than he might just lose it, not getting to dress up and come out in front of the fans and kind of get the hero salute after winning. Uh, and he loves it so much, but they played so many minutes. And if I could, I would try my hardest to not allow Mo to have to walk on the pitch until Sunday against Burnley. 
I really believe he needs a rest. The amount of minutes in those legs in 11 days, four matches in a row going 120 minutes is, is scary for anyone. But for a guy who hasn't had a muscle or major injury in almost 18 months, two years, um, I just think you're really pushing the envelope. And we all know that it isn't like Egypt was giving him red line tests and figuring out whether or not the muscles were good to go for those matches. They were rolling the ball out and telling him to go, you know, go try to hit a pen at the end of it all because they never tried to score in the entire tournament. I think we see Mo definitely on the bench. I don't think he's starting, but I think he will make his way to the bench. And if we are not able to get a score or something like that, and we need the boost yeah. from the bench, he'll be coming in. Because, I mean, I realize, I agree, like, with the minutes he had for Egypt, but he plays a very different role for Egypt. I mean, I would say he probably runs more for Liverpool in 70 minutes than he does for Egypt in 120 just because of the defensive load that is not expected out of him. He's more like a like a target guy that will like chase balls. But I think there were so many times that, you know, you're watching more. That was one thing that was interesting is watching more play for Egypt compared to the more that we regularly watch in terms of like how he backtracked, when he backtracked and when he just like walked. Whereas no, you know, when he is at Liverpool, he will be actually tracking back and doing the defensive work and stuff like that. But I think we do see him on the bench. Chris Reen says, just a quick note on Harvey. Harvey is the player we hope that Shaq would have been. And I definitely agree to that in terms of like style and what they can bring. will definitely bring a lot more work rate. Shaq actually will be joining us over here in Chicago pretty soon. So Matos, the Polish prince of our... Uh, American Scouser contributors and I will be, and probably Hytham, who was already earlier with us, will be getting a closer look at Shaq, where I'm sure he'll be great in Major League Soccer just with his skill set and stuff like that. He'll do some ridiculous stuff, and he won't have to run that much, which was his only downfall, really. So it should be exciting to see him over that's here. What everyone, that's what everyone said about Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard and Andre Pirlo, too. You know what you have to do? You have to give two flying bleeps. No, that's you true. show up here to play. So let's see. Does he really care? Because to be honest, when Shaq has been in his floating periods, like, you know, when he signed for Lyon, Leon, and they didn't really like his style, and he just kind of down tools and didn't try. When he showed up at Stoke, didn't play well, and he down tools and didn't try. When he had four great matches at LFC, and everyone made him out to be some superstar, great player, and wanted him getting minutes over the front three at times, right? because he had a bicycle kick in a preseason match against United. I, I think the jury's going to be out on whether or not Shaq shows up. I think players like the guy at New England that came from Aston Villa, they show up with something to prove in MLS, and sometimes they go on to have amazing years and win MVPs or do things that are big. I think guys show up who have made a ton of money a lot of times show up and decide they like the American lifestyle a hell of a lot more than playing games in Chicago L.A., Seattle, and Vancouver in the same month. And I think we might see one of those type of items. And I think Chicago Fire going to wish they didn't buy the hair plugs. The same way Washington, D.C. wish they didn't buy the hair plugs they got when they brought Rooney here. See, I think the difference with him will be, compared to like the names you listed, he's going to play that attacking midfielder guy that says, you know, when you guys get the ball, give it to me and I'll try to make something happen. Uh, so he'll have his moments of brilliance, I think. But yeah, I mean, I don't expect him to be like. Yeah, it sounds to me like Gally just doesn't like short people. Oh, I don't. Um, I am short. Uh, they, they make me fear. <laughs> We're all uh, short. No. All three of us are actually. But yeah, I just, I just look at it. I just look at the player, and I look at it. He's had a lot less highlights in his illustrious career, and a lot more lowlights than there have been highlights. For, yes, for the couple moments with Liverpool, he was great with, right? He was basically a failure at Munich, a failure at Inter Milan. He had to go to Stoke City to regenerate his career. And if they don't get relegated, we don't pick him up for $12.5 And he doesn't even have the renaissance. Who knows where he would have ended up? So I just feel like there's been this, this process um, and the – you know, to Chris Drade's point on the screen, there's some there's some real uh, 
weak goalkeeping in the MLS. You know where else there's some weak goalkeeping, weak defensive play? In the French League. And he has made exactly 0.0 impact. You just did not compare the quality of Major League Soccer to League One. No, I I, I said that there are poor teams. Timuchin, he has been playing in that league all year and has made zero impact for a team that had to go out and buy multiple players that they had already sold to fill the role. They brought in Ndombele to fill the role they tried to get him to fill. He's been an absolute failure at Lyon this season to the point where they haven't even dressed him for games. He puts in no effort. I bet you if you had a 24-team bracketed tournament, League One would beat MLS. Oh, I, I believe that they would absolutely beat him. I'm not saying it's a better league. You guys are misconstruing. We're talking about individual goalkeepers being a reason why he'll score a couple screamers. Do I think he'll score a couple highlight goals? I do. Do I think he'll be a success and this signing will be something that will be looked at as a positive? Other than selling tickets, I do not. No, I mean, that's what he is. I mean, I can't have, have, have him like, you know, being thrilled to be here. But while he's here, I think he will do well. <laughs> Chris Ray says, Galley hates square things. <laughs> Which could be which? While we were talking about Major League Soccer, I could see Bickler gearing up over there. I thought he was gonna go on like a Major League Soccer bashing <laughs> rant. I could see him like moving in his chair and like getting. Nah, dude, the pod's like, over oh, an hour God. already. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> well, gentlemen, we are over now. Real quick score predictions. Galley, we'll start with you. Leicester City. Three 0 Dang, Bickler. Three one. I'll go with 3-1 as well. I feel like they will get one on the counter, but hopefully we will get back to three points, get things going on Thursday's podcast. Galley will be hosting. I'll be celebrating my 31st birthday. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you guys are laughing. But anyway, it will be my 31st birthday. I'll be celebrating that. Galley will be here hosting the Thursday's podcast, and hopefully they'll be talking over another Premier League victory. Thank you, gentlemen, and thank you all those for commenting, listening. See you guys next week.